join with me in prayer. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the sunshine on this wintry day where we can gather together as your people and be encouraged by the great truths found within this text that help us, encourage us in the hope that you've given us in Jesus. May it be so a reality in each and every one of our lives this day, no matter where we are in our journey, because there's no perfect people. There are only people who love you and those who don't. Lord, may we be those who love you in ever-increasing measure and that the righteousness that we have and wear would be glorified, you be glorified in our midst. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Please be seated. Well, I've been with you almost 15 years now, so you know me pretty well. <laughs> but you may not know Kimmy as well as you do me, because she's my introverted, beautiful wife. You know, I'm the loud one, surprise, you know, and she's the quiet one. So we're at, we're at home now that we're empty nesters, you know, I only play my music when she's not in the house, <laughs> because it's just too loud. Why does everything have to be loud? And it's, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. But there is one song. When we're driving down the road, that if it comes on, Kim says, oh, turn it up. <laughs> and that is 1976, Kansas, Carry On My Wayward Son. You know it, two-part harmony. Carry on my wayward son. <laughs> right? There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more, more. <laughs> right? You know it, right? Great song. You got to turn it up. You can't listen to that softly. Peter, at this point in the letter, we've gone through three weeks of really hard passages, haven't we? Submit. Submit. Submit, and it's been hard to preach on because it's not popular in 21st century America that we would submit to rulers that we disagree with, submit to employers that are ungodly, for wives to submit to husbands who won't lead in a servant way, for husbands to, to love their wives in an understanding way, knowing them and serving them. It's, it's, it's been hard. So Peter like any good leader and coach comes to us today and gives us some TLC. Because some kids I learned in coaching need a swift kick in the rear. And some kids just need some TLC. And we're at that point as a body, we need a little TLC, amen? So Peter shows himself, having finished this demanding work of the difficult work of teaching us to submit to the Lord in all areas of our lives, he gives us the perfect phrase to live by. You've all heard it, that we as God's people are now called to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Look at verse 8 with me. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter 3. You can find it also on the back of the bulletin. He says, finally... All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, 
but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. We are called to bless. The shocking thing about this, that he's not calling us to bless God. He's calling us to bless those who would persecute us. Unjust rulers, unjust employers, difficult spouses. He wants to bless those who are in authority over us. The Christian community is a blessing community, is what Peter is saying. And for the church, this word is hanging on the walls of our souls, blessed to be a blessing. Thankfully, the text goes on to show that as we seek to bless others, we obtain a blessing from God. Interestingly, the blessing will come at times from God, and sometimes it'll come from others, humans. So certainly, verse 9 indicates that it is God who blesses us, so it's important for us to recognize this is, this is, this is a direction we all need to take, because... There's no guarantee that any of us will obtain the smile of God unless we're seeking to be a blessing to others. Can there be any other higher motivation than because we're God's people, loved by God, this gentle and lowly Savior, we go forth to be a blessing to other people? Evidently, Peter hasn't forgotten the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. He remembers that well. Blessed are the poor in heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So Peter also implies that there may come a time when we receive blessing from members of the world after some have come to faith in Christ through our blessing. According to chapter 2, verse 12, on that day when Jesus returns, some will give glory to God. Imagine arriving in heaven and hearing from those who have been won through to Christ through your faithful, submissive service. And bless you. It will be through blessing that the world will be both silenced and saved. All of this should be a great encouragement to us. And we're called to it. So Peter then takes us to Psalm 34, which we heard read and we prayed today. And this particular psalm is the ideal reference to encourage us to get on with the difficult life of being a blessing to others. He says, whoever desires life, to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you go to the, t if in your Bible, you'll notice there's a heading at the top of Psalm 34 because it's in a historical context that this is written. It says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So if you're not familiar with this story, come join us on Wednesday nights and read Mark Learn because we're in 1 Samuel. And this is where it's from because David is running for his life. And David has gone, it retreated to the cave of Adullam. Here's David. He's been anointed by God to be the king, and Saul is pursuing him to kill him. And he was forced to suffer on earth as the exile. And what's the first verse of Psalm 34? 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's incredible. David, this humble follower of the Most High God, submitted himself to God's timing as well as continued to bless God and others, including King Saul. He blessed King Saul. He had a chance to kill him twice. Easy pickings, low-hanging fruit. He chose to spare him. In 1 Samuel 26, David spared Saul's life while he slept in his own camp. And he refused to harm Saul's God-given authority. So Saul replies to David, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. Blessed be you, my son David. This was real life, friends, of a man who gave his life in full submission. What an encouragement to not only Peter's early readers, but to us as well, who have unjust political leadership at times, bad employers at times, etc. In David's obedience, Peter has found the one who prefigured Jesus in his sufferings. He's found the one who emulates the point that he's been making, and the church now has a proof that God does reward living in him. He does reward those who are righteous in Christ. So we carry on, my wayward sons and daughters. Not only will God bless us, but we have hope when we hear these words, blessed from you, from even our enemies. Be encouraged. So how do we live this way? Well, it's implied in the text. First, uh, fear the Lord and bless him. Fear, two particular words run freely through Psalm 34 and 1 Peter 3. The linguistic connection is not only intended by Peter, but it's meant to encourage his readers to continue to remember to submit to the Lord in all areas of our lives. First Peter, the Christian, is told to have a proper fear of God, chapter 127, chapter 217, without succumbing to an unhealthy fear of human authority. Peter's concern, of course, is to show that a proper fear of God actually results in a proper respect for human authority. Interestingly, the same point is made in Psalm 34 that we prayed. David uses the term fear of the Lord at least five times, verse 4, verse 7, verse 9, twice, and verse 11. And the emphasis throughout Psalm 34 is a proper fear of the Lord. The one who fears the Lord will be delivered from his own fears. He shall be protected and have no lack. This is not fear of the Lord is a horror movie fear. It is an incredible reverence, recognizing that God is holy and perfectly just and yet spares me because of his great love for me in Jesus. Recognizing that, I will have no lack. And secondly, the word blessing. That's how we do it. We've said much about it already. But this is the very word Peter chose to open his letter with in chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Was that some kind of coincidence? I don't think so. The word bless is especially important for a beleaguered people 
who need encouragement to carry on. Why else would it reappear in Peter's letters twice within this very text? Chapter 3, verse 9, verse 14. Therefore, we take it up in practice, and we bless God, and we bless others. It's the divine key that unlocks our ability to remain steadfast and joyfully submissive. And when we live such a life, Peter says, it will prompt questions. Notice verse 15. But in your hearts, honor the Christ the Lord as holy, always, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. The normal Christian life will provoke questions, and when they arise, you need to be ready to give an answer. God has spoken to us visually and verbally through creation and his word. Our calling is to mirror that pattern of communication so that his truth can be seen in the new creation of our lives. And to hear the testimony of our words and giving a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus will help another person to see how they can discover the hope that you currently enjoy. If what has happened to you is simply an experience that's unique to you and of little, that's of little value to anyone else, but if there's a reason behind your experience, that same hope is open to others also. Your hope arises directly from your faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And for this reason, the same hope is open to others who put their trust in him. You may not be a gifted teacher or preacher, speaker, but you can't explain to another person simply by opening up the word of the reason for your new life and your living hope. And God will use that in you to reach others for him. And that's the main point of Paul's letter here now. It's a lot to plow through. But when you arrive at this point, we realize that the submissive life affords many opportunities for God's people to make a defense of the hope that's in them. Verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as always, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Remember, he's talking to a group of churches that are is in modern-day Turkey who's under a fierce persecution from their neighbors that are around them. And it's addressed to them to be ready to speak. It's not an option. And remember, verse 14 talks about having no fear of them or be troubled by them. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So how can we do that? Well, that's the first step. How can we live this way? We fear, we bless, therefore, recognize Christ for who he is, holy. He is our Lord. He's our king. We have no king but King Jesus. Far too long we have allowed the culture to infiltrate the church and define the Christian faith. And we've either turned it into just merely a moral code or we've taken it into a far-right perfectionism. But that's not what it is. It's a passionate faith and trust in the God who gives us a living hope. Jesus warned us, or excuse me, James warned us of being a people that are double-minded the person that changes with the wind of the culture, being one person on Sunday morning, yet throughout the week we're somebody else. No, as Christians, we live unto our Lord. 
our king, and our lives reflect that because he's holy. Secondly, we're always being prepared. Right? This word prepared is a workout word. It's, he's not advocating a two-tiered Christianity. And he's talking about always being prepared and ready and aware and equipped to share the good news of Jesus with anyone. It's communicating the profundity of the gospel so as to remove the confusion that's around it. And it stems from our relationship with Christ. Be prepared, friends. If you feel like it's, you're inadequate, welcome to the club. That's what Lent is for. It starts on Wednesday. Can you believe it? Ash Wednesdays this Wednesday. What a great time of year to Peter be walking us through this so that we can, as we approach Easter time, show his glory through our reaching out to our friends, always being prepared, working out in the scripture, giving the Lord five minutes, sometime in prayer, using the daily office. Michael Ramsden says, there's really five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the believer. Most people haven't read the first four. They read us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, you are living letters known and read by all. So how does your life read? Does your life provoke questions? So we're always being prepared. Hetoimas. It means to train the body to be fit. Well, this isn't a physical workout. This is a mental and spiritual workout. Sharpening our stances. And no, you don't have to pass some test to do this. You know, if I had to go back and take my, my strength coach exam that I had to take as an exercise science major, I would fail today. You know, if I had to go back and take my canonicals to, in order to be a minister, I would probably fail today. If you went back to take your certification exams, you don't remember all those details 30 years later, right? Well, it's the same thing. This is just a constant growing, learning, being open, talking about it with one another in the church so that you're prepared, you know? You have to push through that nervous barrier of the crisis of belief to be used of God. It's the normal experience of the believer. And the Holy Spirit can work through you. So we're always being prepared to do what? Make a defense. That's the Greek word apologia, meaning apologetics. We defense. Paul says in Acts 26 to King Agrippa, King Agrippa, I make my defense. It's a legal case. Okay? And what the most effective way to do this, I would say, then and now, is just, just simply reach out to people and ask questions. And ask questions of their questions. You've heard me say this before. It was a famous story about a rabbi. The student asked him, Rabbi, why do you always answer questions with a question? And the rabbi responds, why wouldn't I answer a question with a question? <laughs> Jesus asked over 150 questions in the New Testament, and they're all great ones. Read the Gospels. And next month, we're going to have an, a Bible and apologetics workshop. Come if you really wish. Come. Even if you've done it before. It's constant, we're constantly learning how to do this better. But the whole point is not to use the Bible as a conversation stopper, but rather just to constantly inviting people because we love them and we care for them. Because 
there's a reason for this hope, right? To make a defense for the reasons for the hope that we have. The reasons, the evidence. We believe Jesus truly was born, truly died, truly rose again, truly ascended. And the evidence for that is overwhelming. And it's a reasonable conclusion to this historical claim. And this reason continues with a living hope. A hope that's alive. That this hope that we have isn't pie in the sky and by and by. It's a real hope that we're going to be in the presence of the Lord one day, and therefore it affects my life today. I can have great joy as we live together no matter what we're going through. And notice, Peter ends this phrase with doing this with gentleness and respect. We all have people who rub us the wrong way, right? Every one of us does, you know? That's the person. Those are the kinds of people we need to love and treat with gentleness and respect. I've got mine. You have yours. They're all made in the image of God. So therefore, you meet a person. You're talking to them. Tell me your story. What do you love to do? You're looking for commonalities. Maybe there's a common factor, you know? And just listening to them, asking questions of the question or questions of the statement. Get to know them. And as the conversation turns, you talk about your faith. Just say, you know, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And I have found that, that my faith really informs this subject that you're talking about. And then they say something that they don't necessarily believe it. And you can say, well, it seems like you got questions. So hypothetically speaking... If we had answers to all your questions that provided answers to believe in God more than not, what would you do? That's an interesting question. I, I didn't make it up. People smarter than me made that up. All right? And the point is, because people, some people, you can present all the evidence you want, but they just don't, don't want to live for the Lord. They want to live their way, right? I was speaking with a college student just last month. And I said, well, what are your goals? They told me their goals. What's your goals 10 years beyond that? They told me some more goals. I said, well, what's your goal beyond that? Kept going and going and going. I get to the end. So you're at the end of your life. Then now what? What am I trying to dig at? It's the meaning of life. Why are we here? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And he's wired us for interests. You know, some people like Kansas. Some people don't. All right? I get it. But you really need to like them because they were awesome. All right? No, my friends, we treat people with gentleness and respect. And then we invite them. Say, look, I have a, my invitation to you is twofold. Number one... Why don't, you? seems like you have a lot of questions. Why don't we meet together for coffee once a week and we'll look at those questions that you have while we're going to start with just reading the first 18 verses of John's biography. You know, it's, it's the most popular book that's ever been sold. I think you're going to find some interesting things in it. 
see what they would say. See what they would say. And then call me, and I will give you these little booklets. We got them, and uh, you can read through them. They're, just, they're set in episodes because we watch things in episodes on Netflix, right? You know? You know, my friends, the reality is we can tell others that we are looking for the God who will raise us up in due time. And as such, we don't expect to receive any better treatment than Jesus received. But the reality is, even in the midst of making a defense, we can trust that he can use us. So the result of such obedience of living this way is given to us in verse 16, where he says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, that means people are speaking about you. It's not necessarily true, but they're slandering you. All right. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. The reality is, my friends, God will vindicate us on that day. And we need to leave room for God's judgment. And we carry on. We endure. Be encouraged. You've been called to be a blessing. The psalmist has confirmed it. And God's perfect words through Peter will enable us to do it. In closing, the ancient Greeks had an event in the Olympics. Yeah, they did the discus and the javelin and the hundred and all those great events. The marathon, all those great events. But they had one running event where every participant had to run with a torch. And the one who won was the one who crossed the line first with their torch lit. If you tried to run too fast, you had, your torch would go out. I think that's an apt picture for us as God's people. Our torch is lit with the love of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't sprint. We run. We keep going. And we get knocked down, but we keep the torch lit. We keep running. So run with me. Get in the race. Trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you, who endured it all for us, we can keep our torch lit for him, who's holy, always being prepared to give a defense for the reason that we hope that we have with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great passage to help us to follow you in our day. I'm sure it encouraged those churches in modern-day Turkey as it encourages us. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us. We would encourage one another in the reality of your grace and truth. And that in so doing, Lord, we would recognize that you are Lord. Even in the injustices of our lives, we would recognize that you have us, you're with us, and you empower us with what we're going through for your glory. And we'll see some people bless us, even in eternity, that we affected because of the reality of your love. May that be the case. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.